Mr. Sharma, I am delighted to welcome you to the Indian School of Business and in particular to this episode of Policy Talks where we discuss current policy debates with experts and try to shed light on current topics. The question today that I want to pose to you is the following. There is a general consensus and I believe incorrect, there is a general consensus that policy is very often several years behind technology and is always catching up. I believe that in India over the last 10 years, policy has at the very least enabled the use of technology and in particular allowed us to respond to crises of civilizational proportions such as first responding to COVID as an epidemic and then responding to the challenge of vaccinating a very, very large number of people in a very, very short period of time. Clearly, policy was not an impediment and technology was progressing at a speed uh, that was unprecedented. What has been your experience? You were leading the National Health Authority immediately in the aftermath of that and during the COVID rollout, you rolled out the digital identity, the UIDI, and that was the basis, the, the backbone for uh, India being able to do all of this. What is your experience and particularly insights and lessons on the ways in which policy enabled the use of technology to respond to these crises? Well, thank you, Professor, for welcoming me to the Indian School of Business. It has always been a pleasure to, you know, I'm here coming for the first time, but then I've been to ISB Hyderabad a number of times. And it's always wonderful to see an institution which has become very, very important institution of the country in a very short time. I mean, Ivy League universities have taken hundreds and hundreds of years to come to that stage and you guys have really, you know, accelerated that pace. So compliments to you. Yes, I completely agree with you that in general, policy has policy or regulation for that matter, have always not been able to keep pace with technology. Because the, let's understand one particular factor that the rule making or the law making or the regulation making actually has evolved in the physical world. In a digital world, the paradigm completely changes and therefore capturing the regulations policy in a digital world is a bit of a problem, number one. Now that problem also has its positive side. One of the positive side is that, you know, typically laws, policies, regulations, they specify the boundaries to which you can go and the boundaries which you cannot cross. Now, if there is an absence of regulation or absence of a policy, sometimes the technology is able to proceed and especially if the technology is actually anchored and promoted by the government itself, that is able to proceed. India is a very unique example where in the last 10 years or so, 10 years or so, we have actually created a huge amount, huge number of digital public infrastructure. And that digital public infrastructure has enabled a number of things. So digital identity infrastructure, payment infrastructure, then the data sharing infrastructure, data empowerment infrastructure, and now of course, digital health infrastructure or the open network for digital commerce. All these digital public goods and digital public infrastructures are being laid out. And fortunately, the government, especially our prime minister, has been accelerating each of these domains, taking personal interest and ensuring that they are not only developed 
at a population scale, but are also able to kind of deliver the benefits to the people of this country. May I ask for an example for illustrating this particular section that you that you outlined is that the government adopts an a, a technology and that has always been a challenge because you are making bets on technology and the government does not have an option. It, it must be forward looking. It has to choose a technology to achieve a specific goal. It chooses a technology and then anchors it in a program that is really large and wide. How did it actually work out? I think that's a very, very important question because sometimes we make technology choices which are quite limiting in the sense that they become obsolete very soon. But on the other hand, if you establish certain overarching goals for any technology architecture, then, you know, things become very clear. So, for example, for the digital identity project, and I'm giving you an example, we established that our aim is to provide unique identities to every resident of this country, which is digitally authenticable. That was the one part. And then we said, look, this technology has to be interoperable, population scale, speedy, frugal, standards-based, open standards, open APIs, all these architectural principles, the overarching architecture, and it should be inclusive. Most importantly, it has to be inclusive. It should not leave people who do not, the have-nots of the technology should not be left out. So therefore, what is important is the, once you establish the overarching principles of technology, and then you go for technology development in a manner that it is open. It, it does not create vendor lock-ins. It does not create obsolescence very soon. Those are very, very important design principles which one has to follow. And those have been followed in Aadhaar. And so therefore you realize that Aadhaar, we now we have 1.4 billion people have got Aadhaar, number one. Number two, as much as 95 billion authentications have taken place over the last 10 years. 15 billion electronic KYCs have been generated. Five and a half billion digital documents are there in the digital locker, which is again based on the Aadhaar. So we created an identity which is digital online. And then we created a number of products on top of that identity. And those products continue to be built and they have not become obsolete. And I do not think they will become obsolete. In fact, what is happening is that in that time, we had only fingerprints and iris. Now we have face authentication too, which makes it extremely inclusive because old people, people who are laborers, their fingerprints get wiped out and therefore they have difficulty in authenticating. But once you have face authentication, then authentication becomes easy. And then all these processes, authentications are not happening without a purpose. Authentication are helping people to get their ration anywhere in the country because they're eligibilities uh, on the cloud, their identities on the cloud. Similarly, they are able to get mobile SIMs. Similarly, they are able to get all kinds of facilities are there because they are able to open a bank account, for example. People were not, bankers were no, not opening the bank account because the cost of KYC was about 100 rupees. And a poor person will not deposit more than 100 rupees in the bank account. So people were saying, why, why should I open a bank account? Now, if the KYC cost goes down to 1 rupee or even 0, People are opening bank account and we had 400 million bank accounts in 400 days. So that's the kind of scale which comes out. And always remember, any technology which is developed for India has got to be scalable. We are one sixth of humanity 
and that's that's extremely important and not only we are one sixth of humanity there is no country in the world which is as diverse as ours and diversity in every sense of the term so therefore for example coven when we developed coven we had to take care of this issue of diversity we should not say that only those guys who can do the reservation should be allowed to be vaccinated everybody who even doesn't you know he just goes out to the vaccination center and he is given vaccinated he is vaccinated that's the kind of architecturally and we have to ensure that basic principles are followed it is really important to recognize like you point out the movement away from technology that became would have become obsolete one day it was given that the sony video camera Correct. had a life and we knew it to a world where a technology is never as discrete as a sony video camera and therefore will never be obsolete because it's always going to be continuously upgraded it is a new world and it has allowed us to implement analytics and some of it i was uh, witness to it in a oblique way myself where the uh, the health ministry was monitoring outbreaks for micro fence fencing and uh, containment zones to to control the transmission of the epidemic and while this leads to greater public welfare particularly in times of crises and and uh, control of epidemics it uh, does raise questions about who would be allowed to do this and what are the boundaries like you said uh, laws are really about what are you allowed to do and beyond that what are you not allowed to do do you feel that while policy has not been behind technology too much in the in the new world in india at least it is not yet geared up for the new applications that are already mushrooming and uh, will generate a lot of interest in terms of public health welfare but also need regulation and uh, some monitoring and enforcement no absolutely professor you are absolutely right what is happening is you know one cardinal principle which our country has taken and this cardinal principle is going to be reflected in the new pdp bill personal data protection bill that principle is that it is the who owns the data if it is my health data i own the data i am the data principal so once you have the ownership of the data clearly articulated in a law then what happens everything subsequently whichever happens happens with my consent and interestingly india was one country which actually evolved a consent artifact it defined a consent artifact as long back as in 2014 i happened to be the it secretary at that point in time now we basically what consent artifact is consent artifact is a digital token which i can pass and it can be verified back to me and i can you know give consent for sharing i can give consent for you know providing the data so for example in a health domain my health records are my property and when i go to a doctor i actually give an explicit consent to share those records with the doctor so one part is this and we are very sure and that is one of the reasons you know there is another concept which we had taken care of in aadhar that was privacy by design you know we design projects keeping the privacy in mind and that's very important so we in a consent notice though when i do authentication i am immediately informed on my mobile that i have done an authentication or i have done an electronic kyc so therefore i think what is important is that the data owner is known and data owners 
consent is absolutely necessary. That's one part. So basically, it pro protects privacy. However, it is also true that a lot of anonymization techniques have developed and anonymized data can be very usefully used for you know public policy purposes which you are talking about. And I think it's, it's not a bad idea, it's a good idea because data must be used, anonymized data must be used for public good. And I think predictions of you know some kind of problems occurring somewhere related to health, related to environment, related to many other areas in which you yourself have been working on. I think that makes this whole thing very exciting. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then of course 5G technology which actually enables machine to machine communication, heavy throughput of data, very low latency, all those properties put together actually make AI and ML as a very powerful idea to, to essentially experiment it and essentially provide a lot of good public policy inputs to the policymakers. That's great to hear, especially as a, a public policy professional and academic, that it is not just uh, something that I, I witness in the real world, that governments are using it and academics are working directly with governments to support the use of data, but also that it leads to a larger public welfare compared to the alternative. Absolutely. Let me give you a very small example. Lately, government has made me the chairperson of Geospatial Data Promotion and Development Committee. Now, it's a very fascinating, you know, area where geospatial data is not only the data about above earth, you know, assets above earth, all kinds of assets like schools, colleges, roads and buildings and all that. Below earth also the geological, you know, assets which we have, hydrocarbons and many other things. And a very, very important decision in the new geospatial policy which was announced in 2022 December. One statement is that data which is collected using public funds must be made available to the public. Now, that's an extremely powerful statement. Currently, you know, we are holding data every, you know, whether it's a survey of India, geological survey of India, national resource, you know, remote sensing agency, everybody was holding the data. Now the government has said no. And we are now creating a framework for data interchange. Unfortunately, it does not have any personal data as such. And therefore, it's a public good. And that public good will basically create huge amount of useful public you know, goods and, and provide huge public policy inputs and even decision support systems. That's great to hear. I'm afraid we have come to the end of this engaging conversation. And I certainly hope that uh, we can uh, continue this conversation with future developments. And uh, I thank you for your time and the insights that our readers and listeners will gain. Thank you, thank you very much.